On the morning of October 7th, 2023, 1,500 Hamas fighters set in motion an attack plan that was two years in the making. As they invaded Israel, leaving 1,354 people dead, including 27 Americans. To give you a sense of perspective, that would be the equivalent of 36,000 Americans dying in a single-day terrorist attack. Over 6,000 were injured, and 150 people were taken hostage, including Americans. Over 260 young men and women were murdered at an electronic dance music festival alone. All of this happened on social media. As a tool of humiliation and demoralization, Hamas took phones of Israeli teens and began livestream on the child's Facebook and broadcast the slaughtering of their parents. The nearly naked body of one dead woman, Shani Look, a young German-Israeli tattoo artist, was shown in the back of a stolen IDF truck being paraded through Gaza as hundreds looked on and cheered her death as she was abducted from the concert. For hours, Israelis stuck in bomb raid shelters across their country watched deeply personal atrocities unfold across social media platforms. Children killed, women raped, soldiers torn out of tanks and beaten. It was thought that Israel was nearly impenetrable. Using technology, smart fences, the Iron Dome, walls, and rapid response units, it would all keep Israelis safe as they enjoyed the illusion of safety, shared by other Western democratic societies. For 20 years, Benjamin Netanyahu has implicitly promised that they could have it all. Peace, stability, and economic growth in the Middle East. Even U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said last week, quote, the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been for two decades. Now that illusion has been shattered, much like ours was on 9-11, and Israeli society has reacted much the same, over 150% of the Israeli Defense Force has volunteered to fight. Soldiers online are begging civilians to stop sending them care packages. Blood banks are full. Will it react in another way that we did? With an overwhelming force that means it will be occupying a majority Arab territory? In anticipation of a ground invasion, Israel has seized the Gaza Strip, cutting off food, water, and electricity, and dropping a catastrophic amount of bombs on the territory saying that they can no longer aid their enemy. The Gaza Strip is 141 square miles and 25 miles long, roughly the size of Las Vegas, Nevada, or Chattanooga, Tennessee. While Vegas is home to 646,000 people, over 2.3 million human beings live in the confines of a territory not quite a part of Israel and not its own state. Bordered by Israel to the east and north, and Egypt to the southwest, it is the third most densely populated political unit in the world. And given an unusually high fertility rate that peaked in 1991 with each woman having almost eight babies, 43.5% of the population is 14 or younger, with a median age in 2014 of 18. One million of these 2.3 million are registered with the UN as refugees. The majority descend from refugees who were driven from or left their homes during the 1948 Arab-Israeli War in what they refer to as the Nakba, or catastrophe in Arabic. Many are saying now that this is the second Nakba. Today, Israel told 1.1 million Gazans in the north that they must leave for the south. 423,000 Gazan Strip residents have already fled. To where? No one is quite sure, since both Israel and Egypt have kept their borders closed to Gazans. Moving a million refugees in a matter of days is an impossibility, especially when there are no camps and settle in. Another complication, Gaza has one active hospital left, and it is in the north. In total, the country has 2,500 hospital beds, 
And as of this recording, 7,500 patients are in critical condition. Children are laid three to a bed, with many of them dying of their injuries due to a lack of care. As of this recording, at 5 p.m. on Friday night, October 13th, 1,900 people are dead in Gaza, including 538 children and over 300 women. China, Russia, and the Arab states, like Turkey and Iran, have given support to Hamas in their attack. The U.S. sent one aircraft carrier to act as a deterrent and has promised nearly unlimited support to Israel in terms of weaponry. Israel has called up 360,000 army reservists and has threatened to ensure that Hamas is totally destroyed. What will happen next, and how do we get here? Reinhold and Von Sparger are here with me as we discuss the 2023 Israeli-Hamas war. All right, Reinhold, Von, thanks for being here. We appreciate you uh, coming in on the conversation. Here on the Chris Spangle Show, obviously it is a difficult subject, so let's start with Reinhold. We'll go with seniority uh, in terms of the show, not just age. Uh, what was your reaction as Saturday, Sunday, as this all started to unfold? Um, I mean, the reaction was just mostly disappointment and sadness, just the fact that we we were hoping that things were getting better, right? Things, like you said, things were pretty calm. The West Bank is still fairly calm um, and Golden Heights is pretty calm. It's just um, Hamas, who broke away from you know the Palestinian Authority, has just been working to their own ends, and their own ends are unfortunately not the best thing for the people they're entrusted with. Uh, I mean, uh, genocidal. You know. <laughs> I, yeah. mean, I mean, they want, they want to eliminate the state of Israel. That's their stated goal, right? That's um, whereas everybody else in the area has started to come to the come to the realization that they need to all start living together and figuring something out. That's why the, I think we're having so much more success in the West bank because the PL, the Palestinian authority is trying to actually achieve something like that. Uh, there's still some issues and, and disagreements and anger and everything else there, but it's not erupting into violence like this because there's neither side is saying the other side has to be completely eliminated. But now we have this group that has just decided that, elimination of another people out of an area is just the only solution that they can live with. And it doesn't look like they may be able to live with it very much longer. Yeah. Vaughn, what was your first reactions to it? And please, if you're watching online, we're live streaming this, please leave your comments. And if you're listening later, go to chrisbangle.com and leave your comments in all humility. Neither of the three of us are experts. We do a lot of reading. We've done a lot of reading and, and spent six days prepping for this conversation uh, but if we get anything wrong, then please, you know, fact check us at chrisbangle.com in the comments for this episode. I'll leave it in the show notes and then, you know, leave your comments live if you're watching. Uh, Vaughn, what were your first reactions? Well, first off, I wasn't surprised. It's it's really sad what's happening, but I definitely wasn't surprised by it because there's just so much... Um, anger and hatred between the two groups and the history goes back. I mean, we can say it goes back to 20 years ago when Hamas took over. We can say it goes back to even further when Israel, when the Israeli state was first um, created after world war two, or we can even take it back farther to after world war one, when the Byzantine empire broke up and was divided up among 
Britain, France, and all of those people. I mean, Vaughn, you're a pastor. Let's go back to Jonathan and David. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm talking for mod- just modern context. I mean, Britain, when they when they took over that area, they created conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians, or the Jewish settler, the Jewish people that were living there at the time, and the Palestinians as a part of their efforts to colonize and control the area, just like they did everywhere else they were. And that created some of the basis for what we're seeing now, but it's, it's, it's rough because it's hard seeing this because most of the people being impacted by the violence aren't involved in it. Yeah. They aren't the ones perpetrating it. They're not the ones who are, ang- they're not the ones killing people and the people, once again, you know, just normal people are once again, finding themselves between two, two forces who want, who are very aggressive and attacking each other. Yeah, I'm not trying to both sides of this because I think that's a cop out, right? I think there's yeah. there's a tendency. Americans have a tendency, especially in the digital age, to want to know where they stand morally. Maybe this could kind yeah, of be, and, be our first topic, but you know, yeah. Vaughn, what what am I supposed to release as a statement? Right? Where <laughs> we'll play a, a comedy no. video to lighten the mood later, but yeah, I think that's yeah. like wh- which side am I on? Help me pick a team. Well, we we want there to be. This is the good guy, and they only ever do good things. They've never done anything bad. And this other side is the bad guy. They've done all the evil things, and they've never done anything good. And that's not real life. Yeah. Especially not in war. You know, no, it's not. And even, I mean, you study any war, even the wars where the U.S. was the good guy. Um, and let's not get into arguments about that. But even in where we'd say, okay, yeah, the U.S. was the good guy in that war, we can still find lots of things that happened where the U S did things that weren't good. And we're going to see that in this conflict as well. So to give kind of shades of the conversation that I think people see online, um, first and foremost, the job here for my show, for our show is to help you understand what you're reading and to get you to read more. And in the show notes, I'm going to give you uh, like a crazy amount of, resources so i'll actually pop it up here on the screen so you can see uh i'm not actually going to i don't think yes i will uh because i what what i want people to do is to have the i'm not going to pop it up on the screen but you'll see when you go to the show notes and click on the link uh i want you to have context and i'm giving you news sources that are on different sides independent i'm giving you leans Palestinian. I'm giving you Israeli news sources, all kinds of different things. I I created a YouTube playlist for you to engage in, go and pick videos to watch from all kinds of different perspectives. I mean, as I've watched this, guys, I don't know what you've been watching, but, you know, Ben Shapiro's show on Monday was incredibly moving as he played the video, the faces of literal evil. I mean, I can't, I, I, I think there should be some moral clarity here. What Hamas did in Israel was morally evil. It was like, if you called people Nazis online because they have a different opinion than you go and watch those videos. So you can actually see what Nazis and evil really looks like. Right. Uh, All the way to like democracy now, which is very pro Palestinian giving these moving accounts of what's happening to men, innocent women, children in Gaza and you walk away when you watch these different sides. It's not binary. 
it's tragedy and evil <laughs> and the human condition and all of its splendor and terribleness. And what you don't see a lot of is there's a lot of video and stories out there of both sides of this, both victims of these conflicts um, coming together and helping each other, both uh, on the Israeli side and the Palestinian side, um, trying, trying to help each other and um, a lot of good stories like that, but you're not going to hear them right now uh, because that's not what sells clicks. You know, that's people want to know what's going on. They want to know the outrage, the, the, the terror, the horror, they want to uh, see that stuff. So unfortunately that's going to get lost in the shuffle for a while, but I think it'll come back around again at the end of the day. And, and we'll start to see that these, most of the people involved here um, aren't interested in destroying the other, pe- the other side. They aren't interested in hurting anybody. They just want to live in a way that um, is humane and they can, you know, live in safety. And the it's, it's the leadership of both of these groups that are just, not taking their best interest in hearts, I believe, and especially I, I, the Hamas is just. just yeah, I'm personally know, very uh, uncomfortable with anyone drawing a moral equivalence between. Right, no, no. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not saying there's a moral equivalence. Right. I'm saying that there, that but the, it's just like when you know we get attacked on 9/11 and we had an administration decided to go push back in and made some really bad decisions to do this, you know. They weren't good guys either. I mean, in that case, we, yeah, they were yeah. bad. They weren't as bad as the terrorists who committed the crime in the first place. Yeah, there's, there's a reason that, there, that but... Abu Ghraib stands out. Abu Ghraib is a mm-hmm. war crime that should be widely mo- like derided and called out. And if you're not familiar with Abu Ghraib, look it up. Or Guantanamo Bay is still controversial and should be because it defies everything that is, that America stands for, right? It you, still exists. That's the, the, the it's worst insane, part. We're right? still using it. If you believe in the Constitution and the Declaration, those rights apply to every human being. They're natural rights. They're not just American rights. Like, that's basic libertarianism and Americanism. Um, so, I, I think maybe this is the time to pluck out some principles here, right? Like, when it comes to war, how, how do you conduct a war? How What is the right to self-defense that a country has? How do you prosecute that? And... You know, even I think there's like, what's the level of responsibility that citizens have for their own government? I, I, I've been asking my question, myself that question a lot. Asked our Facebook group that. Um, you know, Hamas was elected by the Gazans. Now, they never got another election. It, yeah. And so, uh, uh, almost 20 and years ago. Right. And there's an interesting Which means most there's of a whole the interesting pop- story there. Hold on. Vaughn first and then right. Yeah, on. Yeah. I'm sorry. Which means most of the, because of how young the average population is there, over half the voting population in Gaza right now has never had an ele- has never actually participated in an election. Right. And then, you know, in democracies like America or Israel, you keep voting in populations that keep bombing, right? Like, this week's yeah. bombing, okay, right? Like, uh, <laughs> Israel has a right to self-defense, uh, yeah. and they're always being lectured on proportional response. Yeah. I haven't worked this question out, to be honest with you. Uh, it's a very tough one. I, I look at it and I go, like, there's a very clear moral evil shutting off electricity and uh, food and water to a people that's vulnerable already because they've had uh, 
a different set of living circumstances than Israelis. Uh, but then, you know, the, the Israeli government says, well, why would we're preparing to attack them? Why would we aid our enemy in having light to fortify their defenses, X, Y, and Z? Like, is it, is it, we have the privilege of getting to call out these moral things on the online, right? Like that's, I think something that I have appreciated a lot this week is that I have the privilege of sitting here deciding who is moral and who is not with absolute security and safety. My three month old is completely safe, right? I don't have to make these calculations because I'm not in danger. Um, so I think it's, it's clear just from an American perspective, like we should all struggle with that a little bit before we start making this declarative statements. But Israel has a right to self-defense. What does that mean? And what response do you think ought to be appropriate? I mean, Vaughn, do you want to take it first? Uh, I can try, but it, it's it's such a hard thing to say, and I really do like Dion's comment there that you just popped up. Um, there is no morality in war. It, it's impossible, and I think part of the issue is, I mean, think about it. Israel has the ability to cut off all of their water and electricity and everything because that's the only place it comes through for them. That gives Israel a, a lot of power over them. There, there's a power imbalance there, and I'm not trying to justify Hamas or anything like that, but that's going to shape what things look like, and that's going to shape how bad it is. I mean, do you? I mean, they do have a right to attack those who are attacking them, but what does that look like? How do you, how do you determine the scope of who that includes? Is that just the leadership? How do you find out where they are? It's a tough question because the problem with Hamas is that they embed themselves in the population. They build yeah. they build their headquarters under hospitals. They build their headquarters in apartment buildings. They build the, their in schools. They use yeah. the population as a shield. And so they they rightly know because like look, what's the calculation of this? Okay, you run in, you commit these atrocities, you make Israelis feel unsafe, you bait them into a war. You kn- yeah. that you know they're going to maybe not overreact, maybe overreact. I don't know. Time will tell. I think at this point it's going to be pretty ugly. Um, what's the calculation there if you're Hamas? Like you didn't overthrow Israel. You just poked. Yeah. You 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 committed these atrocities and then ran back into Gaza, and, and now you have brought ruin on the population there. I mean, it just it's unconscionable to me. Yeah, I think they're trying to win like a propaganda war and get more people on their side. And I just don't think they realize that's not how yeah. it's going to work. Uh, there's a lot yeah. of misinformation coming out, too, uh, that they're push- yeah. pushing and the other side's pushing a lot of propaganda. You, you can't really hardly trust anything online anymore. We had a whole lot of difficulty just kind of sourcing through some of the things we were looking into because there's claims of um, there, there was one person claiming that the bombing of the uh, music festival never really happened. You know, there's that kind of stuff that's being stated out there. And it's it's hard to combat a lot of stuff because people just haven't really learned how to train themselves into looking at what's online and critically applying it, whether it's true or not, and, and finding that. But um, we have a history that we can look back on, too, when you have situations like this with terrorism that we've personally been involved in. Like, we went into uh, Afghanistan thinking we were going to overthrow the Taliban. Right. And we spent 20 years fighting, fighting a war there that was trying to be a a situation where we didn't 
kill innocents as much as we could possibly do it. We tried to hold back there. We did bombings that did kill innocents that we weren't, um, you know, as, as careful about as we should have been. And after all that time, all we did was just strengthen uh, Taliban because now they have a, an enemy to f- rally everybody around. Look at what these people coming in doing to us. And, and I don't know if that's going to be the situation that's going to end up there or if it's just going to be a case where Israel just says, we're just going to wipe it, you know, and we're not going to care about that. And we're going to make sure that they can never do this to us again. Yeah, I think, uh, go, go ahead, Vaughn. Oh, I just saw, I was just reacting to Dion's most recent well, comment. We'll go what there in just a second. Let me, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think going back to comparing this to 9-11, I think it's an overwrought comparison. I also think yeah. like our own military misadventures, like maybe there's some lessons there. I think there's the lesson of don't make too many bad decisions when you're emotional, uh, first and yeah. foremost. Uh, that would be my my caution to anyone from Israel who's listening. Probably not. But That's hard to do when you feel like you're under attack. Yeah, when you when that illusion of safety has been shattered. But if you look at if you go back and listen to our 9/11 episode from a couple years ago, from the 20th anniversary in 2021, uh, we essentially had uh, in Afghanistan the leadership of Al Qaeda and could have we we demolished them with like six f-16s right like we came we flew in we have the superior air force we destroyed that and then uh we had bin laden and then for whatever reason it's very murky the the bush administration and the military let osama bin laden go and they didn't capture him and then obviously the war uh, the, the, the the nation building piece of that was where america basically broke the country it led to where we're at now uh in in all of the fighting in trump and joe biden being president like all of all of the dysfunction right um and the 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 idea that the israelis are going to send in all of these troops and occupy gaza to me it, it's it's more like fallujah than afghanistan because in afghanistan the taliban fought like soldiers in iraq you had it was a lot more house to house guerrilla warfare that's why iraq wasn't won and didn't go well and americans lost stomach for it and it was never built up we didn't do any nation building we basically collapsed them into iran's arms and that to me is like the big lesson here is Think about what you're going to do. Yeah, you may have, you may think, or you may have the right to go in and decapitate Hamas, but I don't know in history that there has ever been an example where a military of a country has gone in and decapitated the terrorist group that they're trying to subdue. Like ISIS, ISIS may come close, but I think ISIS sort of ran out of steam and everybody went home. Uh, and look at the cost to Syria and the Kurds in the process of doing it. You're never going to fix the problems that these wars are caused by with war. It just isn't going to happen. And when you're just reacting, war is the way you react. Yeah, it takes a... It it really takes a a strong look back to say, okay, we're, we're... how has this really started? What was the, really the cause of what's going on? And 
how did this happen? How did Hamas get in charge of that area? Because they broke away from the Palestinian Authority. And I've been doing some reading and finding out that a lot of that has to do with some intervention that the United States did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, administration on its way out, Condoleezza Rice was trying to find a way to get peace there. And they thought they had it brokered so that a pro-Western, pro-U.S. um Congress could be put in place, right? So, yeah, so uh, let me pause there. Let me give like a really broad overview, okay? So you're going to have to go watch some of the videos or read some books to get like the in-depth, but uh, I'm going to give a real brief overview, then we're going to get to 2005 and answer Dion's question, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously many of you may know the Bible stories, right? Uh, Abraham moves in, Moses, the you know, the leaving Egypt, going to the promised land, uh, all the way up to Jesus's time, uh, being occupied uh, by the Romans and the Romans controlling it. And then in, was it 72 AD Vaughn when the temples, when did the diaspora take place? That was 70. 70, okay. Oh, very close. So the Romans basically break up the Jews and send them off into Europe, into Turkey, into all these different places. So there's the Jewish diaspora. Then come around to, then you go through the Middle Ages. And basically the Jews are the only ethnic group in Europe, okay? I'm not going to say white because white didn't exist in Europe at the time because it was the Gauls and it was the Swedes and it was the Picts and the the Anglo. Yeah, right. So it's all these different groups. But, you know, then once Christianity comes along and the continent gets converted to Christianity, the different are the Jews. And it became very easy for the kings of Europe through the Middle Ages and the Renaissance even to – blame the Jews for anything bad that happened. Because they had the divine right, they talked to God, they were blessed by God, they were able to blame the Jews for the plague. Well, look, they wash their hands before they eat, so clearly they're the problem. Meanwhile, they also used the Jews for money laundering, because the popes had made it illegal to do any kind of lending, they outsourced it to Jewish citizens, who amassed an immense amount of wealth. So after the plague, when everything falls apart... All of a sudden, those kings start confiscating the wealth of Jews and sending them off into uh, Central Europe, which centralizes the Jews between Russia and Germany and in Poland, which leads to pogroms. So that's kind of in the late 1800s. Then you start to get, you know, the pogroms where you have villages of Jews, think Fiddler on the Roof, where people come in and just indiscriminately kill them, so then they become refugees. So the history of the Jews is being a refu- a people of refugees. Uh, and then they're all centralized in Central Europe. The Holocaust happens. Let me jump back. So in the late 1800s, as the pogroms are taking place, the Zionist movement starts to form within Europe. And there's the Zionist Congress that takes place. And to combat this the Russian secret service comes up with the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is really the foundation of most of our modern conspiracy theories. I'm going to have an episode on it soon. It's a fascinating story, but this one simple story by this one guy who just needed a way to justify the killing of Jews in Russia 
becomes the basis of Q, the basis of so many things we've heard as libertarians uh, about the Fed, and leads to all this anti-Semitism. Uh, the protocols were on the book, the the nightstand of Hitler. Henry Ford used to promote them heavily in America in the uh, early nineteenth, early twentieth century. Um, but it was set off by the the Congress of Zionists who start to advocate for a homeland back in Israel. Look, this is where we were from. This is our promised land. We deserve to be there. We're a refugee people. If you're not going to let us live here, let us live there. Help us. You control the region. So then the Holocaust happens. And before the Holocaust, you can go watch Ken Burns' documentary or read books like uh, America did nothing to help anyone except the really smart rocket scientists like Einstein emigrate to America. Everybody in the administration and FDR's administration knew what was happening in Germany. The idea that the world was uh, was bamboozled by the Germans is a fiction. Every single person high up in every European government knew what was happening and refused to let the Jews immigrate. And then they <laughs> let them be killed, basically. You could have opened the borders, but FDR wasn't going to take that risk. Churchill wasn't going to take that risk because the populations were so wildly anti-Semitic that you... Uh, you were going to pay a political price for it. So the Holocaust happens. Um, there's also the Balfour Declaration. So during World War One, they the British government basically says, you know what? <clears throat> you know, we don't, you're right. You need a homeland and it solves our problem because we can just resettle you somewhere where you won't be near us. Uh, and it sets the stage. People start to slowly immigrate to Israel European immigration of Jews picks up in the 30s, Holocaust happens, then 48 Israel is formed, essentially. And then there's a war. So Israel gets formed in 47, 48 there's a war, and it's Israel versus all of the Arab states around it. And they win. And during that year, you also had the dispossession of the lands of the Palestinian people that lived there, and they were forced into Gaza. And so, and that's the West Bank was carved up. And then along the way, there's, I'll put a timeline in the show notes if you want to like look at it. Israel eventually takes the Sinai Peninsula. Then they negotiate it back with Carter, gives it back to them. Uh, there's the Oslo Accords in 93, where Israel agrees to actually have a two-state solution where the West Bank and Gaza would become their own Palestinian state then both sides do things that completely erode the trust. That means that's not going to happen. Meanwhile, Israel is settling in the West Bank, settling in Gaza, <coughs> and dispossessing of Palestinians in agreed-upon Palestinian land, which angers the Palestinians. You also have Yasser Arafat and the PLO, who through the 70s and 80s basically is a terrorist who is attacking uh, Israel, but eventually becomes a peacemaker. But then in the early 2000s realizes he's losing the Palestinian people and becomes a terrorist again. Right. So it kind of gets us up to 2005 when Ariel Sharon decides that they no longer want to occupy Gaza. Okay. 
So they uproot and move all of the Jewish settlers and the Jewish people living in Gaza and move them back into Israel and give all of their greenhouses and houses and everything and schools and everything to Palestinians and basically then proceed to seal off Gaza over time. And that's where it gets to what Reinhold is talking about. The Bush Doctrine was basically where the American government, George Bush in particular, thought that democracy could work in places where there were no democratic institutions. That democracy is just this wonderful idea, Vaughn, that <laughs> if you just introduce the Arab people, Indians, the Chinese, anyone to democracy, that they'll love it so much that they'll feel empowered that they'll participate in it. When in reality, I think that's free markets. If you start to, I, I did a show with Brad Lips on foreign aid this past week, and it started to help me think about this. It's like when you as have non-government organizations help local communities build businesses and build community organizations and start to build institutions, then you can start to create the conditions for democracy. You cannot just come in and overthrow elected representatives or dictators or whomever and say you're a democratic government now and everything's going to work out it's a foolish and if, lesson and if we don't like who you elect we will overthrow them and make you do it again right exactly and i think that's a lot of the problem is we say we want to make these places democratic but we don't want to, we're not willing to accept whatever they choose right Except kind of we did in this case, right? So they wanted, they had another government in mind that they wanted to win that election. And they thought they had the numbers. They thought they had everything was going to be fine, but they didn't calculate on some things. So Hamas, for all of its horribleness that they do, they have been taking care of the people, Palestinian people. They build schools, yeah, they social programs and everything else to get them on their side during this time where they're getting ready to have this election. And, um, yeah, the election so, the election was between Abbas's basically PLO party, Palestinian Authority yeah, right. Party, which was kind of the establishment that had been working with the international community for a long time. And then there was the upstart Hamas group, and nobody expected them to win. And then when they yeah. won, <laughs> they everybody yeah, it was, just washed their hands. It, it well, was I to the point they, where they wanted to they, – they said, we think we got this, so we want the election to happen now. And they were yeah. getting pushback saying, we need more time to get this set up. We need more time to make sure we get the proper buy-in from the from the people and everything else. And they said, no, I think we got the numbers. Let's do it. So they forced an election that really the area wasn't ready for. And it ended up Hamas won by like 54% or something like that, 54 to 40 something percent. And, that, and that's and the last you, election that's happened in Gaza. Yeah. Right. And if you, if you, um, if you notice the the Palestinian Authority, they're still working with Israel. The West Bank is actually not as ter is nowhere near as terrible as what is going on in Gaza with Hamas. So we know what's going on there. It's they they got themselves elected and then just said, "Okay, we're done. We're good. We're in control now." And they've been making probably the lives of those people not that great either. Yeah, and they haven't so, had an election since. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I th I think there's also. Um, one thing that came out of that Brad Lips conversation about foreign aid, I, I was watching, you know, a, 
older documentary about how great Palestine was and like how beautiful it is. And it's, you know, it's on the ocean and it's near Egypt and, and like Israel takes all of the blame usually for the situation of the, of the Palestinians in Gaza. Mm -hmm. But where's Iran? Like, look at, look at the, look at Egypt, Egypt, look at uh, the growth in the Gulf States. And the oil money that has built up Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, yeah. Qatar. Like, if if they really cared about the Palestinian people, why did they never help them develop any kind of civil society? Uh, Muslim states like Iran never helped them build any kind of economic opportunity. Iran and, and their puppet, basically Hamas, have kept the Palestinians in as much limbo as Israel has. And so... Yeah. Like, you think that if you were their ally, you would have done things to help them build up the the Palestinian people. But, uh, like, Hamas takes all the water pipes. Like, they have no sewage systems in Gaza, for instance. Because when other states or foreign aid, like, from Japan comes in or Israel tries to build, like, sewage pipes, water pipes, they take those pipes and turn them into missiles. Like these Hamas really are truly evil people They're You can talk about how bad Israel is to the Gazans. But when you look at what like and all the reading that I've done about how Gaza has ended up where it is, it is the Islamic fundamentalists of Hamas using the people that live in Gaza, Iran using the people that live in Gaza for what purpose, what purpose does Iran actually have in involving itself in Gaza or up in the West Bank, you know, or in the Golan Heights? Yeah. It is to destabilize the region because they want to kill Jews. It's not anti-Zionism. What you saw on October 7th was not anti-Zionism. It was anti-Semitism. It was wanting to kill Jews, hunt them like animals. And that I don't think can be forgotten. And so... You know, I, I don't want to go to war with Iran, but I certainly question why we're sending them six billion dollars and why we're why we're negotiating with Iran when they have basically helped build these conditions in a much more significant way than I think even Israel has. And, and I know it's as a libertarian podcast, we're supposed to blame America first and then Israel and then maybe Hamas. Well, but, well, but we, we can blame the, we can. We, we can not let's blame, blame both Iran and the U.S. Yeah, because the U.S. kind of created Iran what it is today. So, <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. You know what? <laughs> I forgot about the Shah of Iran. <laughs> I know, Reinhold, yep. you were actually part of the CIA operation that destabilized them. You're so old, but yeah, we did mm -hmm. create the Ayatollah uh, Khomeini. Yeah. did we not? You're right. Yeah, not, yeah, we we set that up to make that happen. So, All right, good. You know, I'm glad we like could we get back to blaming America first. It, it wasn't like, and, and that's another thing is we weren't setting out to do that, but it was no. just missteps and not paying attention and not thinking through. Yeah, because we were not happy. Happened. We were not happy with what mm -hmm. democracy was doing in Iran because they were, um, what's the word? They were, um, they were taking the British petroleum. They were saying, "Hey, all your stuff is ours now because this is our yeah. country, and the deals we had with you weren't fair. You forced us into them, so we're just taking yeah. all that back." And so no, then just the to be fair, like, oh, we can't do that. 
Yeah, to be fair, the Shaw was doing some good things for the society that they had in place. They were making it very more liberal. They were yeah. giving the right to vote, things like that. They were doing some things, but he was such a terrible tyrant in the doing so that it just caused everybody, you know, it, it caused this groundswell of hate against him. And then that's what led to the the religious Ayatollahs to step up and say, okay, we're done with this. And then mm-hmm. which the are far more, the coffin, repre- far more repressive, far worse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the nail, and, and the nail in the coffin ended up being us taking in the Shah. If we had not said, Oh, we'll give you safe passage out of the country to this place. That's what Carter did. Yeah. Um, they may not have turned their ire against us nearly as much as they were going to anyway. And that's what really led to the, um, the hostage situation and and then all that stuff and, and really and, the terribleness ever since. And that brings it back to the same reason that the the uh, we were t- you were talking about how in Europe the why anti semitism was so popular. Well, it's the same thing for Iran. It's a scapegoat. It gives him, it gives them a, a person thing to hate to unite the country against, so that they don't say, "Hey, why why is everything so bad around here?" Yeah, I, I mean, let's explain blowback as a concept. Uh, yeah, because I think blowback is not something I I, I, I want to have a conversation about American rhetoric now, maybe, yeah. uh, because obviously we're we're like mostly informed on what's happening in Israel and Palestine. But again, in all humility, we're learning. So we we love your comments at Chris dot com in this episode uh, or right now, if you're watching, we've got a lot of people watching. Um, uh, I I. Let's first define blowback. Mm-hmm. Reinhold, why don't you take that first, Vaughn, add anything he doesn't get. Because yeah. on the other side of the definition, I want to talk about the limits of our rhetoric and how the American public is kind of shading over its own politics and uh, brain grooves <laughs> that we've just fallen into, uh, uh, into this situation. It's like filtering. That's yeah, we're yeah, filtering right. all this stuff through our political environment and we're, and we're choosing sides and we're picking battles against each other about an, a situation that really is not hundred percent making, you know, as, a lot of times some of this stuff is, but yeah, as Dion says, so America was on its BS, like always and screwed itself per usual. Yes. Like when you look at American foreign policy post th- th- there's good and bad, right? The, mm-hmm. we had a mostly peaceful, the second half of the 20th century, right? Because of what was called the the global order, the liberal order, the liberal world order, where you had the counterbalance of the USSR and America, and there were little cold wars, little skirmishes. And then when that fell, basically the concept of democratic liberal capitalism being exported to countries that were formerly communistic, that was the the order. That was the goal. Let's get everybody into capitalism. Let's get everybody into liberalism, which is basically the individual and has the right to be autonomous and self-determinant and gets to le- live as they see fit, which obviously clashes with some cultures, including a lot of cultures in America, a.k.a. the right wing. Uh, we don't want you to be determinant. We want you to do what we say. Uh I guess you could say even the left, too. Um, anyways, that's an argument for another day. And then, <laughs> obviously, democracy, where to have democracy thrive, you've got to have these institutions, uh, a.k.a. civil society, business, and free markets to actually sustain democracy. It is a lagging indicator. 
And so the liberal order basically wore out after America invaded and overthrew countries. And the world now, like Russia, who has Putin's been a big supporter of Israel until now. But one of the uh, Hamas leaders was on television. I'll put it in the show notes talking about how Russia has congratulated them, promised support, because if America gets distracted with this, then they won't help as much with Ukraine. China has come out and said there should be no further action. We don't want America doing anything. We don't want anybody doing anything. Like, everybody just play peaceful and be nice, right? And what has happened over the last decade is people have moved more towards autocratic governments like Putin, like Xi, like Orban in Hungary, like... uh, I mean, Donald Trump, I guess you could say, is our version of that anti-democratic, anti-liberal strain. I think he's being used. I don't think he I think he's just naturally dictatorial, but he has no idea what liberalism is. He doesn't know the word autocrat like he just wants what he wants. Right. Um, So we're at a point in history where. The idea that the that that order is breaking up and so American hegemony America rule of the world, America throwing its weight around, sanctioning you if you don't act the way that they want, is being actively challenged by China and Russia and North Korea and Iran and all of these different countries. And there's all these different alliances being formed as a way to counter that American-led liberal order, which is causing panic in Washington, D.C., because as they argue, the world has been really, really peaceful. Okay, the world has been very, very peaceful. But Reinhold, as libertarians, we argue that that intervention in other places has a lot of consequences. There are trade-offs. Yes, Americans and the West are generally very safe. But what does that look like in the southern hemisphere of the world and in Middle Eastern countries? Well, usually it... it when we've done this in the past, it's always been more for selfish reasons, not for bringing democracy to the people. That's the line we use mm-hmm. is we're going to, we're going to make these people better. We're going to fix their problems for them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's usually, what are we getting out of this? What are we getting? What resources are we getting? What kind of control are we getting of an area? What kind of destabilization is this going to do to people who are considered our enemy? Um, I mean, you get Iran Contra issues going on back to there. You got, you know, the overthrow of the the Iran at the, at the you know, in the 30s and 40s when all that stuff was going on. There's there's just so much stuff that the United States has done under the guise of being the benevolent helpers that doesn't really wash out as to the real reasons we do it. And people smell that. People see that coming. And And a lot of the countries that we go to try and help are glad to get the money. But they just don't want the ties to it. They don't want us to say, okay, here's a bunch of aid, um, but now you have to do this and you have to put this in place and you have to do the things the way we want you to do them. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of been our modus operandi for the past the, the, 80 years. The IMF and the World Bank and the World Economic Forum and the base of it's, it's argued by a lot of people in Latin America that it's neo-colonialism. Right. So mm-hmm. you have a government that collapses like Argentina right now. We'll have a show coming up on this uh, is in inflation where they have 100 percent inflation, not 7 percent. Imagine how bad it is there to buy eggs and chicken. And so what will happen is the IMF will come in and say, hey, if you set the right, to, they'll come to the like kind of the 
the more liberal more, or most powerful group, and they'll say, hey, if you run this slate of people, then we'll guarantee $8 trillion in loans or whatever. And then just like personal debt, in a way, you, you end up getting addicted to that credit, addicted to that mm-hmm. debt, and then they kind of control your politics, which is why so many so- South American countries turn towards socialism. People mm-hmm. in South America are Catholic, pro-family, entrepreneurial, pro-life, conservative, patriarchal in a lot of ways. Like, they're not, uh, you know, leftists with pink hair wanting socialism because they've read a bunch of Marx. They want socialism because Hugo Chavez comes along and says, these guys are robbing us blind and I'm the only way to stop it, which is also happening in, you know, in places like uh, the Arab Spring in 2012. It was a way to fight off the chains of this global order that basically comes in and controls your economy and takes your resources and sets you up to basically do what that order wants which is why autocracy has become so popular in the Southern Hemisphere and now even moving into America, Russia, and other places that are looking for it. So that's blowback. That's one form of blowback. You want uh, the most simplest way I can describe blowback is just the the law. I I think it's the second law of thermodynamics. I might have it wrong, but just for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And anything that you do, especially when it's force, is going to create a reaction. And one thing about blowback is even if the action that we are taking is completely justified and the right thing to do, we still have to understand there will be blowback. Yeah, because that's just that's how it happens. And so even when I mean, where did we get the term blowback? It was a CIA term trying to explain the fact that no matter what we do, whatever we do, there will be a reaction to it. And that's the blowback. Yeah, so uh, military blowback, Osama bin Laden was a form of blowback. Yes, America, exactly. American foreign policy and the liberal order was doing all of these things that the liberalization of these countries, they didn't like it. They didn't like that yeah. women in Afghanistan were going to school, which is a form of liberalization. Mm-hmm. You know, in Russia, it, it is very anti-LGBT. That is blowback against liberalization. And when we couch the things that we are trying to accomplish overseas, when not not we, but when the government couches what they're trying to accomplish overseas as liberalism, as free markets and all this stuff, but really they're doing it for their own gain, part of the blowback is going to be people not wanting those things that they claim it is. Also, uh, Russia is a piece of this. So when the oh, USSR absolutely. collapsed, the IMF came in, gave them bails out, tried to control their politics, and then yep. Putin was the guy that that establishment thought that could be controlled – he also wasn't going to lock Yeltsin up. We've done some shows on this uh, and then ended up being an autocrat. Um, yeah. But all that to say that I think that our language about th- about this situation, it has been kind of funny because uh, I'll end on the comedy video, which is really funny, but I, I, I don't want to be inappropriate. Um, my ADD is kicking in. Anyway, so... <laughs> I, I think there's ways, Reinhold, that we're talking about this. Like we, we as libertarians, for instance, we'll talk a lot about blowback. So we'll just like a war starts and we reflexively say, well, America shouldn't send boots to the ground. Well, America's never, hopefully, not going to send 
boots on the ground to Israel to fight in this war. I hope America never sends boots on the ground to Ukraine. It's sending a ton of weapons because America is the weapons depot of the world. And that all is immortal. Uh, but like we, we have, I think built a set of responses, almost like our own libertarian foreign policy chat GPT that when X happens in the world, Y response must be posted. And I think that it doesn't fit in this particular instance uh, where it's a little more complicated, right? Like Ukraine, for instance, we had a security guarantee with them in 1993 that if Russia ever invaded them, that we would help secure Ukraine from being invaded, yeah. right? So, like and that, Ukraine, and Ukraine agreed to give up their basically nuclear their defense standing. Yeah, yeah, nuclear winning. They gave steps. those nukes so to Russia. There. <laughs> right. They they gave their ro- nukes to Russia. It's a great point. So like that, that is a complication that must be wrestled with from a, the position of non-interventionism. Now you can say screw it, but there's trade-offs for that, right? Uh, in this case, I, I also think on the left, there's also the, the language of colonialism. Uh, yes, this is settler colonialism, and, and I think there's elements to it. But I don't think it's as easy as like the French going into Vietnam. The French aren't Vietnamese. The French had no reason to be in Vietnam except to steal resources. The French weren't kicked out of Vietnam 2,000 years ago and then promised by the world and the UN that that they could then settle in Vietnam as their new country. The French had somewhere else to go. They... The Jews have nowhere else to go, right? Like they're they're it's like the French can go back to France. So I think there's like, like there's some piece of that that I see on the left and and in the anti-war right, anti-war libertarian establishment in terms of colonialism and blowback. That I'm not saying those things aren't those things, but I'm saying that the language that we're using to talk about it doesn't actually respect the complexity of the situation, Reinhold. Right. And, and that's part of the problem, too, is that a lot of times in that area circle that we talk about the most in the libertarian side of things, a lot of people just fit the narratives to fit around what they want to be. So they will invent things that aren't even real to justify them saying that, oh, this is all the U.S. is doing this and we should be out. This is the U.S.'s fault. We should be out. This is, it, it's it's almost like you can predict, you know, who's going to say what just it doesn't matter what the situation is because the idea of of anything to do with war being uh, nuanced in any way just doesn't fit their black and white narrative that they have built for themselves. It's all or nothing, yes, right or wrong. And so they try to, to try to justify their views on things um, by twisting everything they can and, and they'll buy into propaganda that fits their narrative and they will reject information that takes away from their narrative. And we see that not in just the libertarian circles, but in the rest of society, especially United States society where that happens, but it's just, we see it a lot in, in our circles. Right. So yeah, that's just unfortunate that that happens because every situation is different and there's a difference between defending, you know, somebody who's um, being aggressed against and intervening intervening into uh, countries we have no business being involved in. And uh, I, I think a lot of libertarians don't see that, that difference. If there's war, we should stop it. And it becomes, they almost sound like uh, pure pacifists 
in a, in a way. And I don't think that they mean to come off that way, but it becomes like, you know, we should never defend against somebody who's aggressing us unless they're aggressing us personally. If somebody else is getting aggressed upon, we should just stay out of it. Let yeah. it, let it, whatever happens, happen. Yeah, there was an exchange between Josh Eagle, who runs the Classical Liberty Caucus, who basically said Israel has a right to self-defense. And then uh, Jacob Wingerod, who runs the Biblical Anarchy podcast, replied, if one innocent civilian dies, it's against libertarian principles. Uh, which is, you know, like... It's war, so that's an insane standard, but I, I asked the question to the Facebook group that is in the show notes if you want to join and argue this point. Like, what, not what side are you on, but I'd just love to hear people's thoughts on it, because I, I theoretically, like, again, um, you know, to uh, Mary's point here, she says, the Jews are purposely starving the innocent people of Palestine. They blocked their way out of the country. Their purpose is to take the remaining land of Palestine. Um, we covered some of that early, so Mary, if you didn't catch that part of the show, make sure you go back and listen to, to where we talk about that. Um, I don't disagree with Mary uh, <laughs> in any of those three points. Uh, but well, I, and one thing we, did, we didn't fail to mention, too, is because we were talking about other countries giving aid. Why was it announced so Palestinians are being told to go south to get away from the the northern part of the area yet egypt has said they completely blocked off their access out right. of there so they're locking in them in it's not just israel blocking them into that area egypt is doing it too because they don't want them in their country either tony says geez how did you come to that conclusion tony i need to know more context about your sarcasm <laughs> i appreciate it too um hody says I agree. It does get a little nationalist and socialist when we identify and blame ourselves, America, exclusively. Got to recognize individuals and other people. And he also says pure pacifism for the win. Yeah, I think this is where we almost get a little bit paternalistic about talking about the Palestinians, for instance, because the <laughs> the Palestinians do have agency. <laughs> like, I, yeah. they are 100% in a weaker position than the Israelis. But they also have leadership that could... Find other avenues than killing innocent people uh, to start a war to get their civilians bombed to ensure negative press, which will put pressure on like the point of it was basically they I, I heard somebody say what they think of it like if we just make the colonizers uncomfortable enough, they'll leave Israel. Well, that's they wanted to create they wanted to create blowback. Right. They want to create the blowback so they can then use it. Right. Those are fundamentally evil people. Hamas is pure evil, right? But I think the world, Israel, Hamas, not Hamas, they're, they're, there's no arguing with them. There's no negotiating with them. Everybody in Israel that says you cannot negotiate with Hamas is right. Hezbollah, these people want to wipe Israel from the face of the planet. It's in their charters. But you look at Arafat, you look at uh, Abbas, you look at the Palestinian Authority. They... they like watching this documentary about the Oslo Accords, you yearn for the terrorism of Yasser Arafat because he was, it was like some random car bombs, <laughs> not what we well, saw on the seventh. When I was growing up and watching all this unfold in the seventies, I was just struck with the fact I would see these military tanks and you'd have people on the other side throwing rocks at them. 
that was the extent of the fighting at the time right. because that's all they could do. That was and the now trope. they're getting all this aid. Yeah. yeah, they're getting this aid from Iran and everybody else now to try to pump them up to give them the the ability to fight back. But it's like that was the situation, you know, in the seventies. But where I'm going with this is the scripts. As much as our response to these things, as we tried to find some moral position so we can pick a team, like the scripts of the people in power are also outdated and perverted. Just like I said about, you know, the Arab countries could have helped develop Gaza and develop civil society to help their people out of poverty. That's not on the table. Egypt could... You know, America could call Egypt today and say, instead of paying for $400 million in bombs to go to Israel, we're going to give you $400 million to build refugee camps in Egypt for the people that live in Gaza. That's a peaceful solution, right? Uh, Like, and I'm sure they would go, well, we want to resettle in Israel, but... I don't know. I, like, <laughs> I, I, I can't solve that problem. I don't know what to tell you. I, it's not going to be solved in my lifetime. But like I'm saying, there, there have to be other ways to find peaceful solutions to these things that the American government, the United Nations, which I don't know what it does, uh, the Palestinians, the Israelis, the Netanyahu government, like there's there's all these scripts that people are just falling into and repeating that continue in the cycle of blowback and it's never going to stop. And we're just going to continue to keep killing children on both sides. Uh, let's go to some of the comments. Uh, Dion says you can't mind your business. If your business is meddling in other people's business, that's a really good point. Uh, Anita says the only way through is peace. Couldn't agree more. John says, it's one thing to keep everyone else out of the fight. It's another to jump into the fight. USA should be should be the ring that allows the combatants to fight. So, uh, John, are you saying uh, that you know we set the ter- we kind of do set the terms? Basically, we have them on a leash. Mary says, basically, I said the made the point that um, that Hamas wants to kill. Jews, and she says, as much as Israel wants to wipe Palestine off the map, I don't agree with you. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I, I, I think know- if they wanted to, they would have done it d- decades ago. They I have the power, are- and they have yeah. yeah. There are elements within Israeli society and Israeli government 100%. that want to do that, Dude, just yeah. like there are elements within the Palestinian society and government that want to do that. You know, Hamas. Unfortunately, Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated in 1993 for signing the Oslo Accords for being the Israeli prime minister that said the they deserve their own state. He got killed by the right wing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just in in Palestine right now, Hamas, those who believe that are the ones in authority, in power. Anita says no teams, innocent people keep getting killed on any side is wrong. There must be compromise. So, yeah, I think we all feel that way. I think it's um, it's politics, man. It's we'll start to wind it down here, but the reality is politics. Uh, someone said on Twitter the other day, someone in the a think tank guy said there needs to be a political solution to ending anti-Semitism in the academy. 
because Harvard and all of these groups wrote basically a statement of support of Palestine. And so now there's like this big fight that to me, it's like Americans don't know how to solve the problem and it's too complex and they don't want to spend the time and effort understanding the problem, AKA that they are part of the problem. So they find something else to argue about, which is Harvard and the Academy, because it fits neatly into these like post pandemic alliances. Right. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I forget where I was going with that, but, um, yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say too, that what, what people seem to, I, I find it interesting that people think that anybody just sitting around on a chat room or on a podcast or, you know, talking on social media is going to solve the problem when right. the greatest minds have been trying to figure this out for decades. It's not that easy of a fix. It's not like, greatest Oh, why minds. don't they just do this? Yeah. Uh, my point was, he said, we need a, we that? need a political solution, but the problem is a guy like that thinks that a political solution is going to solve anti-Semitism, And that is the core message of this show. You cannot use political solutions or really even solutions based around profit to solve problems that need compassion. You cannot – politics is inherently divisive. All you can do – the only time politics ever evokes compassion is when you're looking at the maleffects of politics. And you go, I feel really bad for that person. So you cannot politics your way into a two-state solution in Israel. It's, it's – the, the politicians make all of this stuff worse. Uh, America says is America gave Israel a military. That is mostly correct. Yes. Uh, Dion says you don't owe a thief a debate on why them taking your stuff is wrong. The laws of thermodynamics, as Vaughn mentioned, don't say make your make sure your equal action in the other direction is moral. Morality is a point of viewership, not a tangible spot. And they want to, but don't want to deal with the blowback you mentioned on either side. It's exactly right. Like, again, that's Netanyahu's promise. Like, I will keep them contained. I will use technology to keep you safe. You can live like Canadians and have this peaceful society while, and then we'll just let, we'll leave Gaza alone. They'll do it. We'll give them electricity and food and water. And then we'll just let them, you know, just hang out and we'll block them. And they, they don't have the same restrictions or rights or travel. Like, insane so like i i don't think that there's um like i think blowback people immediately ran to well if you keep them in an open-air prison of course the hamas is going to run in and cut you know cut babies out of mother's wombs i'm sorry they're, like there's no explanation for that evil like to me like <laughs> yes uh, you you end up with bad outcomes but there also has to be a point where you say uh, hey, I'm not for you running in and committing these kind of atrocities. Like, uh, it just that that kind of like that that really turned me off from a lot of people. Yeah. Well, just because you can predict a certain blowback might happen doesn't mean that it's morally justified. It's just yeah, what might happen. Yeah, I mean, some some reaction is defensible. That reaction is not. Right. I mean, no. them being upset that they're in an open air prison and they have all these restrictions and they can't do anything. There's, there's an expectation that those people would be unhappy with that. They want to do something about it. But if your solution to doing something about it is uh, much more terrible than what's being done to you, then I don't know where you draw that morality 
from, right? Where you, where do you think you have that high ground at that point? Yeah. I, Transgender. Uh, epic times. Uh, did you hear that? Don't even. Don't. <laughs> I know. It's, it's What's China saying today? Uh, I, I, I guess we didn't really flesh this out. I mean, now we're going to be self-centered Americans, but like, it's really, we, we touched on it. Like, it's really hard to know what's true. Like it, it's, it's very obvious. If you go and watch that Ben Shapiro episode where he plays basically 45 minutes of the atrocities, you can see with your own eyes, but then he also posted the, uh, Israeli government released the photos of the burned babies, which then somebody on Twitter put into one of these AI checkers and it says it's AI. But then when I put it into the same checker, it said it was not AI. Right. So it's like, but the, the guy who said it's AI and the, you know, all the right wing anti-Semites are dunking on Ben Shapiro because he posted fake news when they didn't do their own. They're just like, it, it's, you don't know what to believe. Right. Or the picture, and the other those- picture of the baby that he posted was a, supposedly like a dog in a, in a cradle and they manipulated the photo and that could all totally be true. It's like the ghost of Kiev. That was totally fake. Yeah. So it's like really hard to know what is like all these little gotcha points. That's why I think if you're just online Vaughn, don't play the gotcha game of like, yeah. see this, you know, and if Joe Biden says, I've seen beheaded babies, you shouldn't believe anything Joe Biden says because Joe Biden doesn't even know what Joe Biden thinks and can't even tell the truth about what Joe Biden says or does. So it's like, don't retweet Joe Biden as some sort of authority. Vaughn, thoughts on reality online? Well, I mean, this is a war. And as we should have learned, as we should learn every time there's a war, and we should have learned with uh, Ukraine, as you said, the ghost of Kiev, you cannot trust what you hear coming out of war zones, especially when it's breaking news. Sometimes it's going to be right. Sometimes it's going to be accurate. But a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's going to be purposely or sometimes not purposely inaccurate because you, yeah. we just don't know all the facts. I mean, we have more access nowadays to instant news than we've ever had in the history of the world. But even then, just perspective of who gets the news out can change the entire perspective of what's happening. So uh, we just have to be really careful not to just trust everything we're hearing. I thought it was... We uh, used to, go ahead, Reinhold. So we used to have like large news organizations that would put people on the ground and bed them in there. And then we would get <laughs> mm-hmm. a lot of good information from them. And then that fell by the wayside because everybody was doing this uh, independent journalism and using Twitter for that. Well, now Twitter's to the point where you can't trust anything on Twitter because there's nobody doing any fact checking there. And we've already seen that that's being manipulated by both sides, but especially Hamas on mm-hmm. the propaganda stuff that they're putting out there. They're putting out videos uh, um you see videos of this happened, this this horrible, terrible strike happened. You find out it was something that happened three years ago. It wasn't anything related to do this. And it's, you know, a lot of bad information out there. And it's almost where you can't even filter yourself through it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Musk took out all the people who are doing the, the uh, fact checking. He got rid of all them because, no, we don't need that because everybody has free speech, right? I, I so don't know. Community notes, those. community notes seems to he, be an He's okay. got rid of them. He got rid of community Yeah, he's notes? getting rid of those. Yeah, he's blocked the community notes on this whole thing. It's it's like, why are you doing this? And 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 just because somebody did a community note that made him look bad, Uh, because he took away title titles on 
uh, news articles. So they just see the picture now. So everybody was m- making their own story on what the news article yeah. was because nobody was ever going to click on it. So somebody did one saying that he was a pedophile. And then the community notes said, uh, well, this is just to show how bad this is. That he's not really one or whatever. And yeah, he getting like rid the of the notes there, so he gets rid of that, and it's just like so. When you so embed, you can't trust that anymore. When you embed a, a link in Twitter now, it just shows you the image. It no longer shows you the the information because it, it's, the link or anything. You know, I don't know if it's to drive people drive clicks. So the long long standing secret of Twitter is it's useless. If you're a digital marketer, <laughs> it does nothing to help you. I don't so I don't know if he's trying to fix that problem or what it is, but yeah, uh, so. He keeps um, claiming that it makes it look better. It's prettier. Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's not the point of using Twitter. It's, it, it's, I, I just, Twitter was my favorite. It, it's, Twitter was good for a lot of things, uh, especially related to this type of situation where people yeah. who were in situations like this could make statements and get their news out, get their story out. But now it's just being used by propaganda rings and, well, and like you know and, all these groups of people who are taking over other people's um twitters and stealing them and using them for this purpose and it's it's becoming well, unusable the, inst- the institutions we trusted to be telling us how things really are when we found out that they weren't doing that it eroded all trust in them and just no new institutions have come about and all of so them were working the, for the government. <laughs> yeah, and so part of the and there's issue no with, there's no financial in, incentive yeah, for them right. to build that back up again anymore. It's just it's just like when the Gutenberg press first came out. Um, you couldn't trust anything that was printed, and over hundreds of years, institutions began to develop to tell you what was believable and what wasn't. Yeah, one of the gone. one of the things that was a bummer is I was putting that list of videos together. There's a video playlist of all kinds of different explanations from different sides, um, from people that I know that like, look, I don't trust Max Blumenthal, but maybe you should hear his point of view. I don't trust Ben Shapiro, but we should hear his point of view. So it's, uh, but Vox uh, did a lot of great explainer videos, and they fired their department of video people. Yep. And Vice had the best embedded journalism, you know, taking you through the tunnels in Ham- that Hamas had built. And that's gone. Like all these great groups that did all this great embedded journalism that really helped you get a good perspective of what was happening on the ground no longer are producing because they all unionized. And you can't unionize in media, unfortunately. Um, let's just wrap up with some comments uh, before we go. Belinda says... If you ask me, the government seems like the problem. I like you, Belinda. Uh, Hody says, letting go of my pacifism for a sec, I can understand defensive violence, but the target has to be the attacker. I think that's the, the, the clearest thing. I don't care if Hamas embeds. Like, you're just leveling the place, turning it to glass, as poli- Republican politicians say. Total violation of human rights. I agree, Hody. Um, this computer is slow and dying and this is on a teleprompter, so I can't read it if I put it up. Oh boy. Here we go. Hold on. Let me plug this in. Maybe I can get this to work. It's on my old Mac. We may have to just skip the comments here. Um, John says the U.S. could set up a safe zone somewhere in Gaza, Israel, the Rafa area, then give Hamas and Israel a timeline to win or come to terms. Um, and then it just moved, of course. Uh, let's see here. Sorry. Um, 
spitballing ideas. I think the best ideas come from spitballing on Facebook. I'm just going to say, John. Uh, if not, the reg- refugees could make another government. That'd be good. Uh, Dion says the evil that evil is a point of perspective. If a baby grows up to be in, in an open air prison guard, then there's justification. It's all messed up. Uh, Anita says, has anyone here tried reaching out to civilians via X or Facebook over there? I have not. I did hear today that, uh, everybody that democracy now, which is kind of a left leaning news outlet, they have lost touch with anybody in Gaza. John Chang, the world is, uh, Jackie says the world is catching on to that excuse for when we butt in, we just destabilize countries and it makes it worse. Embedded reporters are so corny nowadays. Jackie, bite your tongue. Uh, Hody says, I've enjoyed the community fact checking over the licensed fact checkers. I agree. I think they've been a lot more accurate. We have so many ways of communicating these days. I'd love to talk to these people without traveling over there. Uh, and Hody says, type community notes in X, must, may, intend to delete them, but they're still very much up. Um, so, funny video by a comedian named Ryan Long. It's fantastic comedy writing, uh, but he puts... <laughs> I, I was thinking this, you know, the problem today is we've built, like, these alliances post-pandemic that like everybody's sort of allied, but then when these older topics come up that everybody is like, like Israel and Palestine are very old arguments, right? So everybody who was like me coming up in politics during the Bush era, you know, your, your little Republican brain starts going, Oh, we need to protect Israel. And then your new non-interventionist brain goes, but what about the Palestinians? And then it fights internally. Right. But then there are some people like, I actually had the um, uh, opportunity, uh, I don't know why, former Senator and Governor uh, Brownback did not want to come on this program, <laughs> but uh, so a group reached out to me, and Brownback is a very like conservative Christian uh, senator, and I, I'm guessing his people may have just looked at my website and said, I'm not going on a libertarian podcast. Um, because I was going to ask him, like, why do Christians, why do Christians just, like, support Israel? Like, I, I'm... I'm a Christian. Vaughn's a pastor, right? So why why do we support Israel? Because God's covenant transferred from the people of Israel to uh, anyone with the Holy Spirit, and uh, everything was broken. And I know there's verses in there that say, well, you've got to honor and protect Zion. But like to me, like you're missing the point. Like, I, I, I don't know. So I think there's a group of Christians, Vaughn, that like want to usher in the new age, but I put it in John Hagee video that answers That's this question. Episode. Yeah. Right. That's so whole episode. Uh, I'll let John Hagee, the pastor from Oklahoma that believes all this answer the question. It's in, in that YouTube playlist. Um, but all that to say, like there's all these argue, like all of a sudden liberals like Matt Taibbi are now best friends with, you know, monarchist right wingers. Like, so there's all these new alliances, but then when one of these old issues comes up, people don't know where to go or what to actually believe. And, uh, it's sort of funny to watch. Uh, but this comedian, Ryan long, I think put it into like a really funny video that kind of makes fun of that particular point of view. And I'm just slowly padding as I try to pull this up. 
So here is Ryan Long. Make sure uh, it'll be in the show notes if you want to share it. Because now I still haven't weighed in on Israel-Palestine. I honestly don't know who to post. Usually it's easy. BLM, bang, Ukraine, bang, COVID, bang. Hey, did you do your Israel-Palestine post yet? I've never missed a stand. So who'd you go with? I look at my phone, I see a lot of Republicans supporting Israel. So I go, maybe stay away from that. Then I see a lot of the people we've been calling Nazis supporting Palestine. But then get this, the people that we've been calling them Nazis with are happy Israel's getting attacked. Riddle me that. But there really is no easy answer here. Did you do your Israel-Palestine post yet? No. What does your manager think of that? I'm retired. Oh, you don't have representation right now? Obviously, I was at the front lines of getting mad at Kanye West when he was doing the anti-Semitism stuff. Everyone was thanking me for standing up for the Jewish community. So naturally, I'm seeing this happen. I go, okay, we're back with the Jews again. I see Kylie Jenner post for Israel. I think, okay, the word's in. Then boom, she's getting killed on every angle. So it's not Israel. So I start doing a bit more research. I'm seeing queers for Palestine. And generally, you want to be on the side of the queers. If you look at the things, you're not going to get in trouble if you go with what the queers are saying. Then Mia Khalifa, who we obviously support, is posting with the queers. And she's getting fired from her job. The whole reason I'm posting this is to get in better standing with my job. And by the way, I started to see that your silence is noted post popping up, so we're running out of fucking time here. If you had to pick, who would you say? I would stay out of it like I told you. But if you kind of have to choose, which is sort of what a situation I feel like I find myself in. But you don't understand, I got a post to support one of them. I know to you, it might be like, oh, who cares what he thinks. A buddy of mine booked a Geico commercial from his Ukraine TikTok, so it happens. Feels like we like decolonizing. What, what is decolonizing? Is that just like killing the people? It's situation. That's literally what I was saying, man. Because normally it's pretty easy. I don't know what the answer is. This one's, I just want to post one of the flags and sort of be done with it. And it's tougher than you think. I'm getting yelled at if I post Palestine. I'm getting yelled at if I post Israel. It's starting to feel like, if anything, I'm the victim here. I'm looking on the internet. I see Jews for Palestine. I kid you not. Also, I'm watching the parades. We're talking Times Square. Between me and you, when I see a bunch of brown people having a parade, I think it's a pretty safe bet to be on their side. Never failed me before. I mean, people are probably texting each other right now wondering where my statement is. Israel, though, probably, right? Yeah. For me, it's a little more complicated as a Gentile, you know what I'm saying? Maybe if I look at who's getting censored, that's a good place to look. Like, follow the YouTube warnings. And then I'm looking at UN women. I'm thinking, you know, follow the sniz. Whatever the women say is usually pretty good. They're just posting random shit that has nothing to do with it. Trans lesbians are lesbians. Can I just go with that? Just like a random blanket post. Just be like, hey, lesbos, just so you know, lesbos with dongs are still lesbos. Stop avoiding the dong lesbos. I can't. I, I feel like it's the wrong move. But you go in Israel or Palestine, you're thinking. No, you could Oldest this <laughs> trick in the book, my friend. I wish I could do the same. Okay, so like if native people in America took down some girls at Coachella, I'd probably be like with the natives against me, right? Like that seems right. I can I can talk to my representation for you if you're No, it's okay. Palestine's gotta have Jewish people there, right? Like Palestine isn't that am I being messed with here? Hey, you ever seen a wealthy person or a wealthy family or a jet I... owner like I got a jet. I'm sorry, you know. You I'm ever starting done to feel that, like I'm the that? victim. I love that line. Uh, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to feel like the victim here. So, yeah, it was a really funny video. It'll be in the show notes. So, all right, Reinhold, final thoughts. Um, just final thoughts are just I, I hope that we find some sort of solution eventually at this. I uh, just I pray for everybody. And as an atheist, you know what that means. So, um, not a still, damn thing. Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> My heart goes out to um, hoping that some semblance of sanity uh, raises its head before what we predict is going to happen this weekend happens. And maybe we don't see nearly as much atrocity and bloodshed as we're afraid is going to happen. 
Dion says, good job, guys. Thank you so much, Dion. Thanks for the comments. Hody says, good show. Y'all love the quick history and breakdown and insights. Thank you so much. And if you guys like this, please uh, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to The Chris Spangle Show on your podcast app. And leave a nice comment. Let me be honest with you listeners. The Mises guys have really done a number on my comments and uh, reviews. So please go rate and review on Spotify and iTunes. Vaughn, final thoughts. War is horrible. And it's just, I mean, I we need to figure out ways to, the, the solutions to what's going on right now, they were things that needed to happen 25 years ago. Yeah. And war is horrible, and we need to do what we can to help people so they don't get to the situations where they feel like these are valid ways to deal with these things. My final thoughts are uh, that it is... Uh, it, and one last comment. Belinda says, amen. I agree, sir. I think it's going to get a lot uglier. So we didn't really get into the future because we don't know the future. We're not going to predict it. Predict it. This is not a sporting game. This is not a team sport. This is the lives of human beings. And I hope that you'll think I, as a father of a three-month-old, saw a dad today in Gaza holding his dead three-year-old son and I'm still emotional about it. Um, seeing pictures of dead Israeli children makes me emotional. It's been a very long week for us in our house. Uh, and, and just having the experience of having a newborn, having a young child, and it just, it not only do you not have as much sleep, so you're a little more emotional, you also just feel things. I think it, uh, I, I feel things a little more now than I, I have in a long time. So, um, this is not a team sport and you don't have to win. You don't have to go on social media and pick a team. Uh, and you don't have to feel the weight of picking the right moral side. And I think sometimes in our culture, we, that video so illustrates the, the, uh, the pointlessness of trying to look the right way. You don't need to release a statement. If you don't know what to say, don't say anything. I, I try on these situations now like I said, I learned from the Covington kid, you know, who was supposedly in the face of the Native American guy, like, and I was like, that guy, that Trump supporter is horrible, and then it turned out it was a totally different situation. That was a, a real moment for me to start listening more, and the longer I do this show, the more I just try to listen um, and share with you resources that kind of make me think and see the full picture as opposed to just trying to pick a team sport. So I would say avoid that. I think that should be a principle that you ought to live out is just listen Try to understand your moral code. Stick to your principles. Um, I think the ridiculousness of the Israeli government saying today that 1.1 million people who have no food, no cell phones, no refugee camp to go to, no transportation, no fuel, uh, you have to wonder why would somebody say something like that, right? Uh, like, when things don't make sense, assume the worst. Why would Hamas go into Israel and perpetrate these crimes? Because they are anti-Semites that want to kill Jews. And then when they do, anti-Semites around the world start throwing bricks through windows at synagogues and children in Britain can't go to school. Anti-Semitism truly exists um, just as anti-Arab sentiment exists there's something pervasive about anti-Semitism that I think we all need to understand and learn the, the roots of it 
try to root it out in our own hearts for sure. Just like I think we need to look at these situations like they're all human beings. Every one of these people that are being slaughtered in Gaza or in Israel are human beings with hopes and dreams. And we are in a position of privilege where we get to watch this and get the right and the chance to choose which side we think is better or worse and just ignore all the other side. I mean, it's, uh, and I think that's that's going to get a lot tougher and that's going to get more entrenched because when Israel says 1.1 million people need to move, what they're really doing is they are saying to you that we're about to do horrible things to these people. And we want to give the people that support us some plausible deniability. We are going to go in and you're going to see images that are deeply disturbing that rattle you to your core. But at least you will get to say, we warned them. And so I think it's just a time when you have to think about deeply what you believe about war, what you think is, is an acceptable response to learn about the issue as much as you can to try and find understanding on both sides to maintain your humanity. Because once we've lost our humanity, then we start to justify and make excuses for a family of four people on video on a Facebook live stream, wondering if they're about to be shot like their little girl was just shot. That's where inhumanity leads. And so it's just a time to really think about deeply about these principles and where we uh, need to connect with the fact that every single human being is created in the image of God and therefore is deserving of love, of dignity, of respect, of liberty. And what can we individually do online and in person and in our communities to create conditions that grow love, dignity, and respect and liberty for other people? Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you learned something, please share this with your friends. And uh, we, this won't be our last episode on this, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on it over at chrisspengel.com. Please leave a comment on the platform you're watching or listening or over at the website. Thanks so much again for listening to The Chris Spengel Show.